smear of blood on the palm. Burnett was sent at once to arouse Mr. Green, the manager, who lived in Furling Avenue, at the corner of which the bank stood, a street of semi-detached villas of a pattern familiar enough to a Londoner. As the officer walked through the little front garden to the door, he saw a light through the panels, and he had hardly knocked before the door was opened and Mr. Lambton Green appeared, fully dressed and to the officer's discerning eye, in a state of considerable agitation. Constable Burnett saw on a hall chair a big bag, a travelling rug and an umbrella. The little manager listened, pale as death, whilst Burnett told him of his discovery. The bank robbed? Impossible! he almost shrieked. My God, this is awful! He was so near the point of collapse that Burnett had to assist him into the street. I, I was going away on a holiday, he said incoherently, as he walked up the dark thoroughfare towards the bank premises. The fact is, I, I was leaving the bank. I left a note explaining to the directors. Into a circle of suspicious men, the manager tottered. He unlocked the drawer of his desk, looked and crumpled up. They're not here, he said wildly. I left them here, my, my keys with the note. And then he swooned. When the dazed man recovered, he found himself in a police cell, and later in the day, he drooped before a police magistrate, supported by two constables, and listened like a man in a dream to a charge of causing the death of Arthur Malling, and further, of converting to his own use the sum of £100,000. It was on the morning of the first remand that Mr John G. Reader, with some reluctance, for he was suspicious of all government departments, transferred himself from his own office on Lower Regent Street to a somewhat gloomy bureau on the top floor of the building which housed the public prosecutor. In making this change, he advanced only one stipulation, that he should be connected by private telephone wire with his old bureau. He did not demand this. He never demanded anything. He asked nervously and apologetically. There was a certain wistful helplessness about John G. Reader that made people feel sorry for him that caused even the public prosecutor a few uneasy moments of doubt as to whether he had been quite wise in substituting this weak-appearing man of middle age for Inspector Holford, bluff, capable, and heavily mysterious. Mr. Reader was something over fifty, a long-faced gentleman, with sandy grey hair and a slither of side-whiskers that mercifully distracted attention from his large, outstanding ears. He wore, halfway down his nose, a pair of steel-rimmed pince-nez, through which nobody had ever seen him look. They were invariably removed when he was reading. A high and flat-crowned bowler hat matched, and yet did not match, a frock-coat tightly buttoned across his sparse chest. His boots were square-toed, his cravat, of the broad chest-protector pattern, was ready-made and buckled into place behind a Gladstonian collar. The neatest appendage to Mr. Reader was an umbrella rolled so tightly that it might be mistaken for a frivolous walking cane. Rain or shine, he carried this article hooked to his arm, and within living memory it had never been unfurled. Inspector Holford, promoted now to the responsibilities of superintendent, met him in the office to hand over his duties, and a more tangible quantity in the shape of old furniture and fixings. "'Glad to know you, Mr. Reader. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you before, but I've heard a lot about you. You've been doing Bank of England work, haven't you?' Mr. Reader whispered that he had had that honour, 
and sighed as though he regretted the drastic sweep of fate that had torn him from the obscurity of his labours. Mr. Holford's scrutiny was full of misgivings. "'Well,' he said awkwardly, "'this job is different, though I'm told that you are one of the best-informed men in London, and if that is the case, this will be easy work. Still, we've never had an outsider.' I mean, so to speak, a private detective in this office before, and naturally the yard is a bit... I quite understand, murmured Mr. Reader, hanging up his immaculate umbrella. It is very natural. Mr. Boland expected the appointment. His wife is annoyed very properly. But she has no reason to be. She is an ambitious woman. She has a third interest in a West End dancing club that might be raided one of these days. Holford was staggered. Here was news that was little more than a whispered rumour at Scotland Yard. "'How the devil did you know that?' he blurted. Mr. Reader's smile was one of self-depreciation. "'Oh, one picks up odd scraps of information,' he said apologetically. I